what's the thing today? It's uh, how to write a super high-selling RPG and publish it. So if you guys are sort of like me, then you're probably playing some tabletop RPGs and you probably saw this topic <laughs> and hopefully are in here because you're thinking, I totally want to make like my own RPG. And uh, lots of people do it. It's like, actually, I think everyone I've ever known that plays tabletop at some point has kind of like said, oh, well, I'm working on my own game. I got my own game kind of, it's half done. I don't really talk about it much. It's kind of over there. Yeah. It uses these weird dice. We don't like to talk about it. <laughs> Someday it'll be cool. You know, and everybody kind of has that story. Like, yeah, we got the world kind of sketched out and then we fell asleep. And they got like notebook paper with like a map that's taped together or something. You know, like, it's sort of like a, like they're tracking a serial killer that is their eventual <laughs> game creation. Um, and, and I've always bumped into those people. They're just like a part of my weird life. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if you saw that topic and, and came um, to hear it, what I wanted to share is some of my surprise and some of the details about how to get it done. And not just to get it done, but to like to kill it, which is what I wound up doing almost completely on accident. So if you guys are like me and this is something that's sort of in your near future, I hope that's why you came because this is the kind of like nuts and bolts that I can totally give you. And they're like invaluable. So, and I, I had no idea this was coming. So that's sort of the opener that I wanted to give. It's like, I never set out to do this. I, I've just been playing D&D since I was a kid. Like, almost everyone I know, in some form or another, you know, like some game, or Rifts, or GURPS, or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or whatever, but playing all that stuff for years, and doing that with cool, smart people, like, that show up to cons and stuff, they're all doing slightly different things and they're always sort of clicking together and the gears are meshing in different ways over the years, right? That's part of the fun of tabletop. And as that all unfolded, we started modding whatever we were doing, like all good D&D players. And we modded so long and so far and so together and so collaboratively, sort of at one point, and maybe about 10 years ago or so, we're kind of looking at each other and we're like, what the hell are we playing? Well, it's in this figuring notebook. And we're like, yeah, and I have a combat section over here. And like. No, we, we never talk about that, you know, like, but we had just made it and never really realized it. We had done like the, the, the frog boiling in the water thing. It just snuck up on us and we felt like we suddenly had something. Like this is different enough that this, wow, this is actually kind of awesome. And then when we found that mindset, we kind of ran with it. And we kind of asked ourselves the question, like, what if we had a, like a hardback book of our sort of game? And once we changed our mindset to that mindset, um, and just for whatever silly reason, I sort of wound up at the spearhead of that silliness. So I was sort of looked to in a way. <laughs> like, if anybody can do it, you know, Brandon could do it. So that's me, by the way, I'm Brandon. So, hey guys, welcome. Um, so that's kind of the, the story piece of how I bumbled into this, is that me and, me and smart people were having fun, and at some point it like congealed into harder jello of creativity. And then and there it was sitting there and it was undeniable. So I started pulling this together and had an, it sort of an epiphany, which was I saw people playing D&D with index cards, with three by five cards. And I make like all this, uh, you guys can sort of look me up after the talk or whatever, but I make all this crazy 3D terrain and stuff. And I got like all this insanity. It's all amazing and awesome. I'd like to think so anyway. And then I saw these guys playing and he had a three by five card and a sharpie, and he like wrote the word dragon on it. He's just like, <laughs> and then he wrote, had another one. He's like mountain, puts it right there, and another one's like town. 
boom, and that was their game. And they, they and they were really fun to watch. They just they were so in it together. That was plenty for them, and it just like made my brain pop. And so I was suddenly like, it was so opposite from everything that I'd ever done because I've been doing like hand drawn terrain and stuff when I was like twelve. It was a thing that I was obsessed with. Like I would, you guys probably have done it, you know? Like you draw these massive dungeons on huge pieces of like the coolest cardboard you can find and you get your minis in there. And I'd been doing that for years and I saw these guys with the index cards and I was just like, oh my God, it's genius. So between the history with my own friends and then seeing that and having like a, a sort of brain pop, that's what became this game. Okay, so that's just the intro. So. The real question I wanted to try to answer though is if you're going to try to do this, it's like the best time ever to try to do it. So here's what happened to me is I got it together, I, I did the writing, I did all the art, I pulled it together, and when I was about three quarters of the way done with this goofy little book, which is like 130 pages, I was so sure and so psyched about it, I quit my job. I've been in the video game industry for almost 25 years, and I was just like, I'm done with this. Forget it, this is where it's at, I'm doing this. I was just so, like, vibed about it. <laughs> and um, so then I, I finished the last sort of 25% of the project just, like, living off, you know, ramen, basically. And I was just, I knew I had to do it. So then, if you guys are familiar with a site called Drive-Thru RPG, this is, like, the first tool that you need. So you gotta go to that site and understand it. That's, like, the first step. And Drive-Thru RPG is, it's, it's called print-on-demand and it's all very new. It's basically, one of the hugest barriers in the past has been, you have to make all these damn books and like put them in your garage and hope someone buys them someday. And it's how like tons of writers and creators go bankrupt. You don't have to do that anymore. Now they're robots that make the books only when they're ordered. And they even can do it with card games and all kinds of complex packaging, all this stuff. And it'll make one, if with only one person that ever buys your thing, the robot will make one of them and ship it, and no harm done. So that's why you have to use the print-on-demand tools, and drive-through RPG is probably the most notable one. So that's like your first bullet point. You, you've got to do it, and in using that, go in there and buy stuff and understand it, and like find something you like. You know, like they have everything. It's just thousands and thousands of things. So that's your first step. The second one, and this is where I think I had a little bit of an advantage. But if you're, if you're here and you're curious about this, I, I, I need to tell you. The second one is this sort of stance or theory that I have is like, the people come before your product. You gotta have people that, that are in your life in an awesome way, <laughs> that like you for you, before you worry about having anything to sell them. And lots of them too, a few hundred at least. So you can use YouTube or Instagram or whatever the hell, or maybe they're just people you know from school or like, Maybe you play D&D &D with lots of people, game shop, whatever, but those people are what are going to make, make it happen. Whether you succeed or fail, or whether it's cool or kind of lame and nothing ever really comes of it, it doesn't matter, it's the people first. So in my case, I did YouTube, and I have this YouTube channel, I don't know, coming close up to 30,000, so it's right now. So it's pretty small, but the relationship that I have with those people is really personal. Like I talk to them, a lot of them, thousands of them directly, a lot. And so that was meaningful. So then they're kind of like, is there something we can like buy from you? And I'm like, what? No, <laughs> this is it, this is the whole dream. <laughs> so the first one, know that print on demand stuff. Like 
know it top to bottom, understand it, see what your favorite thing is, what your least favorite thing is, what does it feel like to buy things, you know, what does it feel like to get, excuse me, like messages, you know, because it'll, it'll tell you like we updated your product or like it's being shipped and you can fine tune those messages. So know that store and know how that works. Second one, put your people first. Find a way to gather your people. It doesn't even matter what you do, just gather those people first and then you know, partially just ask them what they're dreaming of and tell them what you're dreaming of and rise and fall together and expose your, your creative challenges with them and they'll love you and they'll just, they'll stay with you. So that way, if your first game you make is kind of meh, you know, it's like, I did one uh, way back in the day called the Iron Cross and it's like these sort of fairies that wear like way too much armor. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what this is, but this was in college. But at the time I was convinced that, but they're like, they can barely kind of get around because they're like, <laughs> But that was like the coolest sort of cast in their society. It's these little heavily armored, very badasses. And that's the RPG. And you play these little dudes. And I was like all about it. But when it came time to try to sort of get it out to people, it was just like, what the hell is this? Like, what is happening? And I think the, the biggest mistake I made is that I sort of sprung it on them. You know, this is what corporations do. They'll hide their products from you for a long time. And then they'll be like, that's not going to work for you. You want to show them every little step and like when you had to move and change apartments and your notebook like got, got beer all over or like the time you dropped your journal in the lake when you were camping and stuff, they want to know about that stuff. And that's that's what's new and different. And that, that has never been around before. That's the new era. So use that to your advantage. So drive through RPG, people before your product. Then the third one is probably the biggest one. So this this book really was just intended as a fun experiment in self-publishing. It's really what I wanted to screw around with. Because I write other things and I want to get into it. Um, it's now pays a lot of my bills. And I think it's because no one makes a dang video for their RPG. And it's so stinking simple. But if you go on drive-thru, it's less than 1% of the games. And they're great games. Like, Monty Cook games and like awesome like cyberpunk games and it's just like a little blurb of text is like all you get and like a preview of the table of contents and you're supposed to decide if you want to buy it and it's just like no moving on next thing it's like can I look at something okay screw it so this kind of comes back to the sort of new world tools like you know learn a little bit about YouTube and like I do my entire all my videos with my stinking phone so everybody has the tools now so you can just be like hi I have an RPG there it is, guys. And like, see? <laughs> and then thank you for maybe buying it. Okay, bye. And, and that's at the bottom of your little page. And it's like vastly increases your sales. I mean vastly. And so the people on Kickstarter have already figured this out. They use videos to sell their games. But Kickstarter has become a wasteland that is extremely competitive. You don't want to go there. Like Dark Souls is on Kickstarter now. Like if you want to compete with Dark Souls, then feel free. But... They will take the money of the guy that made my uh, your game. So that's your third one. Is you gotta have a little bit of video tools. I know that this is a, a pen and paper thing, right? There's no video involved here. But learn your video tools and use them because if you can just do this in a video, you know, or maybe you haven't even made it yet. <laughs> or like in my video, I don't even show this because I didn't have the test copies yet. So I just took the JPEGs and floated them around in the video and I was like, cool RPG. You know, like, like I found like a, like a sort of a mom and dad making out in the garage music track from 
the free music archives, you know, it's like, like awkward romance music. And I just put that on there and you feel great when you're watching it. You're just like, I totally want this game. What is this? I don't even know what this is. There's like a red circle. What the hell is that thing? So use the video tools. Um, then the other ones are probably what you're putting most of your thought power into already if you kind of came to this topic, which is you got to make a dope game. That's probably where all your brain currently is. If like you're sort of nodding, like I see you guys doing. It's like, <laughs> I need cool combat. I want role playing to have more gravity in the game. I want people to have to think less or, or maybe you want them to think more. I want a huge hardback book or like me, I want a nice little book that I can kind of roll up and jam in my pocket. Um, you know, I want a dark thing. I want to like, like, I'm tired of playing Vampire Masquerade. I want to play something like heavy and dark. Or, or like, where's Rifts? What happened to Rifts? I want to play something like Rifts. And so wait, oh man, robots are never fun in games. Okay, well, I'm going to make a system. I have this world and it's a continent. Like, okay, that just, you're going to be doing that for the rest of time if you're like me. So how do you sort of do it? And I guess my advice is keep doing it for one thing, but if you want to sort of do what this little talk is really about is like worship the god of brevity it is it's critical so the worst part of doing this whole thing for me besides it accidentally succeeding which like has changed my whole life and it's all i do now the worst part was cutting it it was so painful this was massive this was like a thousand pages and it, like so many RPGs, like you guys probably haven't had this feeling. Like even if you guys just play D&D, &D, I mean, how many pages do you have before you start to feel comfortable that you're like, I got a dope D&D &D book collection? Like tons. I mean, it's like, <laughs> and then another guy comes over and he's got like Volos now or whatever. And you're just like, I, I need 300 more pages. Like seriously. So I had a huge book and I loved everything in it because I'd been working on it a long time. And then I had this kind of, vision in my mind. I wanted I wanted it to be this size or even smaller. And I wanted it to be something that wouldn't take up my table that could get ruined and you could buy a replacement. You could fold it and like write in it. You know what I mean? And um, I was like, wow, I have to go from basically 950 pages to like 120 pages. And I, and I, need, and I had it in my mind I was going to release in May and this is like early April. <laughs> and I'm just like, I have like two weeks to do this. Oh my God. And no one's telling me any of this stuff. I just... OCD, right? It's just losing it. But it was the best thing that I did for the whole game. Is it makes it affordable for people. It makes it easy to get through. Even if it's like not winds up being the game that they love forever, they had a nice little experience and they can kind of move on. But I would advise you, no matter how big your game is, when you're feeling like I'm just about to cut half of it or more, and that applies to every paragraph, every sentence, every spell description, every like weapon rule, everything. And you just boil and boil and boil. And if you keep working hard, like only the strong will survive. And it just gets better and better. Put out a second book with the cruft if you have to. Um, but that step took me from this morass of concepts into something that now I think apparently people absorb very quickly and get really excited about. Now, how much do they actually play at their table? Only the gods will ever know that. I don't get that information. Um, my Google Plus group is about a thousand people right now, and they all play a ton. Um, so if that's like a feeling that is, excites you, 
of like, I wrote an RPG, there's at least a thousand people actively playing it right now, asking questions about mechanics and slightly tweaking it and improving. If that sounds exciting, then you're a lot like me and like, go do this. It's like, there's never been a better time to do it. But be super, super brief. Okay, and then there's sort of one more like axiom that I want to put out there. <laughs> like an axiom, like Galactus, axiom mode right now. These are the laws of RPG. Um, that is something that I see so many games fall short on, but you're not going to do that. And it is basically how you codify explanation. So I know that's a little bit of a densely packed concept, right? Codifying an explanation means to explain a concept, you do it the exact same way every single time. And it is not easy to do. So you guys have all had this feeling. And Watsi is pretty bad with it, I think, but like you're reading spell descriptions and they all sort of use slightly different sentence structure to describe either how far it goes, how long it lasts, how big it is, how weird looking it is. And even though there's sort of a stat block, you're always just scratching your head just a little bit. And it's maybe the sequence or how they're... Some games do a brilliant job of not doing that. Like actually Blades in the Dark, you guys know that one's a little bit of an obscure RPG, but... He has a complex and counterintuitive game, but he says the sentence structure the exact same every single time. Okay, so I'll get to some better examples from, from my piece. But the, the discipline that I would invite you to, to experiment with is to try doing this. So to say, okay, I've got a rule here about how to hit a guy with a sword. And then I've got a rule here about uh, you know, how you run out of energy or endurance when you're casting spells. And then i got a rule here about like how this you know, giant termites can jump across the map, <laughs> okay? You have to say all of all three of those things in the exact same codification. So in my case, what I did is I boiled everything down so there's no distance. There's, there's only you're close to things, you're near things, or you're far from things. There are also no, all this graded numerics and what I like to call derivative math. I tried to get rid of all of it. So when you're making a roll, it's either just roll or roll against hard or roll against easy. Make an easy roll. I think it's the exact, okay, there's a perfect example. I said it wrong. Don't roll against hard. What the hell does that mean? So you just found that in your book and you just cut that. You messed that part up. You have to say, make a hard roll. I know this is insanely detailed for like a panel, but this is, this is it. This is the, the discipline of doing a good game like this is, so now I have this rule. Anytime I'm telling you to roll a d20 on a thing, I have to say the word make a easy, hard, or nothing roll, right? And I, I can never, ever break that rule. And if you get good at this, I think this is one of the keys to going from the sort of an object in the world, which is generally useless, of putting it into a reader's mind and you don't get to be there. This is one of the most key concepts, is like, be extremely disciplined. Uh, you know, a great game for this one is Dungeon World, if you guys are familiar with that. That's one definitely worth checking out. If you think about writing your own RPG, just read Dungeon World. You never have to play it. Just read it. It's the way they use sentence structure in a non-English way. They just, it's so dang disciplined. Um, anyways, that's another thing. I'm sure you guys are already doing this, but like, read every RPG there is. That's another step. That's, that's like the fifth bullet. <laughs> so the extreme discipline around language. Okay, then I have one more, and then maybe we can like 
talk about like you guys as projects and stuff. The last one is there's this weird word I was recently introduced to called polymath. So <laughs> someone called me that. Like, oh, that's easy for you. You're a polymath. And I was just like, I have normal hands. What do you mean? <laughs> Has nothing to do with your hands. And so polymath is basically someone who is trying to get good at lots of skills, which are like art, music, video, speaking, still a new, new in that area, dungeon mastering, playing, you know, writing stories as well as writing, you know, designs, um, and so on and so on and so on. So I had never occurred to me because in my mind I always sort of considered it to be like high functioning ADD because that's just my life. I just I cannot do things for more than an hour. But I got like accused of being a polymath, and now I realize like this is a piece of advice I want to give you is like see yourself that way and be proud of it and actively work on being that. So it's like okay, I got my cool RPG. The writing is great, the game design is pretty good, but I like, I never talk to another living human being. Um, I just kind of, in my apartment all the time. Or like, I've never done anything with music. Like, how do you even, where do I begin? Like, you know, hit a log with a stick or something. Um, or like, I've never done art. It's a, it's a real challenge, right? A lot of people sit down and it's just like, oh God, I'm having such a terrible time with this. Ah. But the polymath element, just like the, the print-on-demand element, is one of the keys that will unlock the newer world of making games. In, in, in the big old school style, you get like 20 people and you work for a company, you guys can make a game. Great. Hey, I need a picture of an elf. You hit me up with that? Yeah, I'll be done tomorrow. Okay. Hey, that's awesome. In the book. You don't have that. You're just, you're just in your room. <laughs> right? So it's like, I need an elf. Crap. Now what do I do? Like, I can't just steal stuff off the internet, you know? And there are techniques that can get you there, like a, a, a classic one, and this is, again, things that are only available in recent times, is go find, they have these awesome archives of like human poses and photography, stuff like that. Get those, slap it on a layer in Photoshop, like turn it down so you can barely see it, and get the key lines with your, your Wacom tablet or whatever, and then throw the photo away and try to fill it in, and just fill in the whole damn silhouette, actually, screw it, and you're done. Like, do not try to become an artist. It's going to take you decades. But what you can do is start and start putting it into your work. So when, when you guys can take one of these free at the end of the panel, you'll see, um, and I've been an artist, I'm like a professional artist my whole life, but a lot of the stuff in here is done that way. It's just mega simple Sharpie art. And that's how I did most of the art in this book was with a Sharpie. And it's because I wanted to send that message to people reading it. Like, it doesn't have to be like Larry Elmore. It doesn't have to be like Brom, like doing these oil paintings for the cover of my RPG. I wanted to send this message like, if you draw a little stick dragon on a three by five card and prop it up on your table, awesome. Your RPG is good to go. So, so being a polymath, I would say, I would invite you to try. Like, try things that are at your level. Make your own damn book. You're going to have to learn hard things like how to make publishable files and use templates to get it so that the robots make the things properly and like a lot of it is not particularly interesting or fun but the wider your polymethism gets the better your chances and also more people will be drawn to you and, and they're more important than your product so people will find it odd and interesting that you are now learning to play the violin just a little bit 
just enough so that you can put some weird violin behind your YouTube video. So you just, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I do this kind of stuff. You go to the music store, you bring your iPhone, you put it on record, you set it on a little thing, and you get the violin when no one's looking, and you go, and you're like, okay, well, I'm not really into violins anymore. <laughs> and you leave, because you got what you came for. <laughs> you know, you go over and just kind of hold your iPhone up and be like, on like the bongos or whatever. You don't have to spend two grand on bongos. <laughs> Because all, all you really need is so. Uh, if anybody wants a card here at the end too, I do a lot of audio stories as well, uh, and that's another way that I'm paying my bills now. Is like on Patreon, I read my own stories and do funny sound effects and stuff like that. Those are all things you can totally do with your phone, and that's it, and your brain, and a little bit of typing. That's it. And but the key that unlocks doing that is the polymathism, which always reminds me of like something's wrong with my hands. I don't know why. I, <laughs> So this is Paul, I'm polymathic. Anyway, <laughs> so actively tell yourself like, what am I good at? What am I bad at? What do I have? And what do I not have? And I'm going to fill in all the gaps, and I'm just going to like armada this. <laughs> just going to armada this whole challenge. So the end of the story is that I put this up in May, uh, and it was the number one seller on Drive Through RPG for almost three months straight. And other games that I worship are coming up the charts and falling back off the charts, and I'm just sitting there. And I don't, I'm not saying this to brag. I was just stunned. I was just like, what is happening? Who wants to read this? This is terrible. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, because I'm always like over critiquing. And it just stayed there and stayed there. It stayed there so long, actually. One of the guys from Drive Through, like, now I have like a personal liaison where he like handles my stuff. Like, he. You know, he helps me, and I, I, I don't know, he emails me, like, once every two weeks, do I need anything, do I have anything coming, like, and you know, do a promotion for me or whatever, because they, they love me now. So that was the ending, and this is the first RPG I've ever published. I, I mean, I've played all my life, probably a lot like you guys. But that, I had no idea, really, at the end of the day, how that happened, except sort of the pieces that I just told you guys. Is really probably the people one is one of the very biggest ones. They showed up long enough to at least be like, yeah, man, not bad, on the show. They don't have to like play this forever. So that's what happened. That's what led to this talk. That's actually led to Dave hit me up. Was uh, and, and on YouTube, he's just like, dude, you got to come down here. You're crazy. And I was like, okay, great. So it, it, I mean, it's cool that there's just a few of you guys. It's kind of it's easy to like kind of connect with all of you. Um, but I knew that I wanted to reveal some of these little tidbits um, because I see a lot of people making games far superior to mine that kind of come up and disappear because they don't do some of the key things like video and like being a little wider in their skills and the games of genius or like a Cthulhu Tech is one of them. It's like $110 books. It's beautiful, massive thing. There's like 20 artists and it's, it's you can't, you don't even know like where the game part is. Like it's an unfathomable book. So they missed that part, you know, they missed the like disciplinary language part. So each one of these little things is just, I hope it helps you guys uh, as you kind of embark on this crazy idea of publishing your own book. So if you guys have any questions or like things I didn't, or like your own personal struggles <laughs> of trying to do this? Or? Uh, yeah, I was wondering, uh, when you were making it, did you ever have any problems with playing things or like, oh, it's like, I've got a mechanic in it. I really enjoy 
but uh, it's like very similar to a different game. Oh yeah. And well, I mean, my core, uh, my core mechanic is like the six stats that everybody knows and loves from every game since the beginning of time. And then I have like armor, you know, like armor class basically. It's kind of the same. And actually, in some ways, I make veiled references to D D twenty games. You know, sort of kind of jabbing at them a little bit. Like, why did you give me a stat and then I have to figure out what its bonus is? That's like one of my all-time mega pet peeves. Like, I've been playing D&D my entire life. It's still hard for me to remember what the bonus is for, like, having a 14 dex. Is it plus two, I think, maybe? <laughs> but there it is. And so I directly mention that in a little, in a little section. You know, like, no more derivative math. We're going to do bonuses as your stats. So my dex is two, or plus two. Yeah. Um, but was I concerned? Yes, absolutely. And I think if my success actually goes too far, I might enter some weird areas. Right. But um, I did take a step, which I didn't sort of mention, but I did like get legal advice. So I paid for it. It's not cheap. You know, you basically need like two hours of somebody's time. It's like 500 bucks. But they can tell you like what your risks and your assets and your liabilities and stuff like that. And it seemed fine. So, but that is not the end of the story. I had a two monsters in here that were basically straight out of the, the Beholder and um, uh, Displacer Beast. And they weren't called that in, in my world. They're called Shadow Lasher and, uh, and Eye Beast, right? But I love those two monsters. I always have, they've been like every game I've ever loved. And so when I had, I had a group of about 80 people that were my sort of play and read testers. And they're going through it, and that was one of the biggest ones that came up, is everybody was like, man, I don't know, dude. That Displacer Beast, though. Like, it's the same rule for the monster. Like, you know, you're at a disadvantage to hit him because he's wiggly. Yeah. Or, like, phasing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Beholder basically had the same, like, beam powers and stuff. And you're just <laughs> like, dude, I don't know, man. It seems kind of dicey. So I looked it up, and actually, those two, and if you probably know this already, those few and a few other monsters are, like, specifically off-limits. Mm -hmm. Mind Flayer's another one. And that... I didn't even need the legal advice. I read the little thing on Watsi about it. And it's like, you cannot fun on that stuff. You can't mock it at all, especially if you start making money. Then they'll come get you. If you're making no money, they probably don't care. But if you guys know my channel, I actually used to have like a pixel art beholder in the middle of my logo. And I also have kind of pulled all that. So if you look at my older videos, you'll see that. It's awesome. You know, it was actually, it started as a, a cross stitch of a beholder. And I was like, that's so dope. I'm going to make that into a pixel art beholder. And I loved it. And then just over time, the more I grew, I started getting that feeling you're describing. I'm being like, it's kind of like D&D, you know? So yes is the short answer. I totally had things where it was into the cringe zone. And I think if you're just honest with yourself, you'll know when you cross the cringe zone. And I, I at first did one and I said, oh, it doesn't matter, dude. We got to have a beholder in this game. And then my readers were, my test readers were like, Dude, don't do that. It, your, your book is already too cool. Don't lessen yourself by having a couple ripoffs. So they kind of challenged me to add like four new monsters and kind of pull those two and change them. Yeah. So with the Beholder, I actually just put eyes all over him and called it good. <laughs> but I think mean, it was literally a freaking Beholder. Like, there was just no dice. You know. Yeah. So I think just be honest with yourself. And you'll know when you get too close to the edge and you feel the burning sensation. <laughs> just be like, oh man, it's getting itchy over here. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. So you just got to be really honest. Yeah. But thanks. Yeah. Uh, what do you do to work through creativity blocks? Oh man, that is a common question. 
Well, I mean, it's a little bit like, there's not an easy answer for starters. It's a little bit like somebody saying, man, I feel so crummy all the time. I really wish I would go to the gym, right? When you go to the gym, nothing freaking happens. Like, I, I hate to break it to everybody, but like you go to the gym and you come back, nothing happened. But if you go and you go and you go, whether you feel like going or not, and over time, you're awesome, right? Cat bam. And it's the same with creativity block. So my advice there is, first of all, never beat yourself up about it. It's very common artist behavior. It's like, oh, I'm always so, I'm not inspired. Gah, well, maybe I'll just, I'll go watch Knights of Cydonia and then I'll be inspired. Um, three days later. <laughs> what I, what I advise is it's going to happen. It happens to the absolute best of us. I mean, even Picasso, actually, he used to call it refilling the well. And he said, if you're always just drinking out of the well endlessly, then of course it's empty, which is kind of what happened to him. He got more popular than he wanted to be. And he just making things. And he's just like, I'm just drawing air out of the, um, so my advice is just to keep working the muscles. So it's like, uh, it's like writing, honestly, just write crap and never show it to anybody. It's fine, but just make sure that you showed up and you sat there and you wrote a paragraph about like, um, kind of like, um, they were saying earlier, well, I guess everybody wasn't here earlier about your day. Like it, you're still writing, you're still working the muscles and you're still progressing. So it's like, well, I got up instead of just thinking that write the words, well, comma, I got up period. It's kind of rainy today. <laughs> Coffee. I don't like Folgers. This I know. Actually, instead of deleting now, I'm not going to delete. I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to write the word. Actually, folders isn't so bad, <laughs> right? That, and then I'm like, man, this is like the, what am I even writing? This is garbage. doesn't matter. Keep going. And, and that's how you do it. And some days you're going to just slay it. And they're going to be the days you don't see it coming. Usually is when you're just going to destroy it. And like, you can't even stop. But only if you have that habit, it's, it's a lot like the gym. Actually, you'll reach a point where. You get up and if you don't go to the gym, you feel all like, well, not at your age. <laughs> you probably feel awesome anyway, but older when like I'm in my forties. So if I wake up and I don't go to the gym, like my joints hurt and stuff. And it's, it's same with, with being creative. You'll reach a point where if you don't get up and write or draw a little bit, you feel like kind of a loser today, man. I feel like junk. And it's not because the quality of what you did, which is usually what a block has to do with. Like, I must not have been inspired because this whole section is just trash. That's usually not the problem. The problem is not doing it. So that's my advice is just get that habit going. It's not even like, it's so fun being creative. We, no, no, no. I mean, this is like, I, I say there's a big difference between um, a crafter and an artist. A crafter always has fun when they're like making a, a log cabin out of popsicle sticks. Like they're having a good time. An artist is not having fun like 90% of the time. They're like afflicted by it. And they're always going like, God, this is not, this is whole, I mean, look at that. That doesn't even look like a nose. You know, that's an artist. And so you, if you have that behavior, which I sense in you, then you're already sort of on the way. It's just don't beat yourself up about it and like crack your knuckles and do a little bit of it every single day, if not multiple times a day. And then before long, you're just like, this is how I live. This is what I do. I don't, what, I'm going to wake up and not write? It's like holding my breath all day. Is that, does that help? Does that answer someone? Okay. Yeah.
also in response to that, if you're if you're having a hard time, I, I don't remember the name of the method. There's like you work for 15 minutes and then you have like a five minute break. And yeah. You do it. It's really great for like if you don't feel like doing it, you're in that block. You just sit there, you do the thing, and then you get to do whatever else you do yeah. like on your phone. You do yeah. that and it's great. And you do that in like block, and then like after you do like three of those, you get like a 20 minute break. It's really great for making you productive and yeah. whatever you're doing. And there's great research to look up on it if that's something to. You know, like you have that morning where you're just like, I hate fantasy now. You don't hate fantasy. It's all good. Stay calm. But something you can do is go research exactly what you're describing. Like there's a great thinker from the 60s named Osborne. He invented like the Osborne method, which is more familiarly known as brainstorming. But brainstorming is only the sort of buzzword that came out of this massive body of creative research that Osborne did in the 60s. And it's really worth reading. It's fascinating stuff. It's a lot like what you described. It's, it's basically the, the muscle science of being creative, about suspending your own judgment and like not critiquing during the act but afterward, and all these kind of little things, and they're all like from studies and everything. There's another great one called Triz, which is T R I Z, um, and it's a this is a weird one, but it's a Russian study that was conducted over 50 years over all of the industries and sciences and the companies and everything in Russia, and they're basically just like attacking it with like communist craziness of like, we must now make more creative country. <laughs> so they did this huge study called TRIZ, and the results of TRIZ are fascinating, because it basically, like, no matter who or what people are doing, well, who people are or what they're doing, they all have, like, it can be boiled down to sort of like five problems, and they always solve the problems the same way and never learn from each other. It's just like life. But in Russia, they're like, we will now learn from each other. We will all be happy and creative. So it's like really worth reading because you'll just see yourself in there. You're like, whoa, I'm just like Russia. <laughs> uh, I can't even deal with that right now. It's kind of heavy. But I hope that helps. It's, it's really hard. It's hard for everybody at every stage. I mean, if Picasso's feeling it, then, yeah, whoa. So, yeah. I have another random question for you. Uh, do you ever have those moments like at 2 a.m. where like you sit up and it's just like, I gotta write this down immediately. Yes. And then the next morning, it's just like, what is this? Yes, it's it's generally known as, as pre-conscious creativity or pre-conscious thinking. Um, it used to be called subconscious creativity, but it has since been sort of recategorized. And uh, I think the the new intention of the word pre-conscious is uh, if you think about your problem long enough, everybody knows this feeling. The post-conscious brain is going. I really want an answer to this. And the more muscle power is used in the mind to demand, the, the less is kind of like available to actually go get the, the damn card off the shelf. But then when you relax, and you guys all know this feeling of like, you can't remember the name of the cool movie when you talk to your friend, and then that night you're like, oh my God, it's freaking, this, it's Pokemon 2. How did I forget that? Anyway, so yeah, pre-conscious creativity is, is a huge part of all, I think, awesomely creative people. And then the habit you get is to treat that with seriousness. Have your tools ready, which uh, I didn't bring it, but I have, I carry around this huge leather book and it's just like, it's my entire cognitive existence. And I, that's just how I live. I just have to work on it all the time. So if I have one of those moments where I'm like, oh my God, the dwarf did it. <laughs> okay. All right. Back to sleep. <laughs> but you have that habit and you have your tools. Did you have one? Yeah, so I'm just curious how you did the art. So, 
I am a traditional artist that likes to put on paper. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how well that translates to printing. Uh, well, great. I mean, you just got to have your good habits on use your phone as a scanner or get a good scanner, whatever. Yeah, because I know scanners exist, but you mentioned the Blackhawk tablet. Yeah, okay, so yeah, to, to get technical about how I did it, um, I also am sort of a traditional artist, but I always specialized in like, uh, well, unfortunately when I was young, I was kind of into tagging and stuff, but uh, I've always used like really big black markers, and, but I draw at an extreme scale, so it's kind of like drawing with a tiny pen, is how I basically came up as an artist, um, was doing really large artwork but that was sort of cross-hatched as, as if it was ballpoint seen from a distance. Anyway, technically speaking, now I use like a big Cintiq. So the Wacom is pretty cool, but you do have to develop weird brain paths yeah. that let you do this. And it yeah. can be very hard to meet a circle because yeah. you don't know where the, you don't get to do that. You have to do it this way. Well, I've done digital art before, but I'm wondering if there is one that you would recommend over the Yes, get a Cintiq. Like get a twenty-three centi, and it's the it's the affordable one that you can manage to buy with some help from whoever. If you're like me, this is another great way to meet the people. Is be like, hey guys, here's all my traditional art. I'm making this switch. Who can throw five bucks at me? Like this is a thing that's like really common nowadays, and it used to not be common, but now it's just like you get a little bit of a, a, non, a social community going, and it's like you guys throw five bucks at me, and I'll post everything I do. And it totally works. And even if it's just your, your 10 goofy friends, you know, that's 50 bucks. <laughs> and, and that's the kind of stuff that I was never shy about. But yeah, get the Cintiq and it will kind of blow your mind. I mean, at least go to the store and try it and make sure that it'll blow your mind. But I guarantee you, it'll, it'll destroy your brain. Like, so now it's just like, that's where I live. It's like on my, but I, I've been doing this for many, many years. I did concept art for video games companies. And so I had the big one on like a robot arm, you know, that's like this. So you could put it on your lap. And, you could like put it like this, yeah. So cool. So I'm I'm spoiled on really big Cintiqs, but definitely try it. Yeah. Uh, my question is uh, for your game in general. Uh, your audience, how would you just like? For example, for me, when I play games, like I like I, the first ones I played was like three point five. Yeah. I was completely overwhelmed. There's so many options. There's yeah. so much math. And <laughs> then I said. met I met people like, look, we use three d sixes, and you have like. A thing, and then you just roll, and that's it. And it, like completely blew my yeah. mind. Like when you're choosing your market, like I guess, like do you try and like cater to you know the meta gamers who want that oh, simpler thing, or like do you do you choose like do you try and do I'm going to have something for everyone, or do you or in uh, this case would you choose your market like this is the simple game that I want just for this type of like what right. what would you recommend? I think if I was a little more advanced, I could have strategically done that. Um, but really what I did was just, I just was myself and I want, I just selfishly wanted this game for me. And even if I had only made one copy of this, I would have been really happy about it. You know what I mean? But I basically just, I, I was just completely selfish and honest about what I wanted in a game. And I, I think then the audience and me are one. So my audience became sort of like casual DIY D and D people, you know, not hardcores. Because A, I think those, those groups can be very gloaty, very unapproachable, but also that's just not me. So there was no way I was ever going to convince those guys that my game was cool. That, that was never going to happen. Like 13th Age is a classic one that did that. They're like, yo, super advanced D&D &D people, check this out. Pathfinder did that too. 
yo, you guys are super cool and detailed and everything, but yo, this is awesome. And they were right. They, they did it. Yeah, they took it. But for me, I'm very DIY and I really like to encourage people like the, the key thing to do is to show up and play, not to know things and be cool. Yeah. And so I wanted to boil that into a message. Well, yeah, so my audience is me. I'd argue that make it more approachable because it could, you know, anyone could pop in and play. So. Yeah, that was my idea. And that's how my table is at home. I love it when some new rando comes over who's like, I didn't think people actually played D&D. <laughs> It's just on Stranger Things. Like, what is, this is real? And we're like, yes, it's been going on for some time. Come. <laughs> You're a dwarf. <laughs> Everyone's a dwarf in this group, so. Uh, I think we got like one more. We got a split. So anybody have one more? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering, uh, you're talking a lot about YouTube. Yeah. So when you were first starting out, um, how did you... How did you go about getting more people? Uh, uh, <laughs> the magic question. The people you already knew. Why is that funny, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just recently watched three of your Dragons videos. Yeah, so in the early days I was called Dragons and Dragons, and one of my gimmicks was I would get like a giant, like I'd get a growler of like the strongest beer I could find, and I would sit and drink it and review a book. But I have to finish the whole thing. And then it would start with like a chart and it's all very, you know, Heidi Ho. And at the end, I'm like on the floor and it was not sustainable. And I like was almost dying and stuff. But, but I would have to say that the better answer, that's just a silly answer, but the, the real good answer is like every single person matters. So if one person shows up to watch your video, talk to them about something, engage them in any way and just be like, yo, and, and don't take the angle of like, thank you for watching my video. That's not interesting. Be like, hey, why did you watch my video? What? Why? I mean, why, why could you possibly be subscribing to this? What, are you crazy? And and that is how you can open it up. A lot like sort of what we're doing right now. You know, it's like each single person, and then before you know it, you have thousands of them, and the the engagement is is the same, and that's when it starts getting like to be a bit of a headcracker, which is the kind of the boat I'm in right now. It's like in some ways I'm almost like DMing like a few hundred games right now because people want my help with their game. And I mean lots of people. And so I help them with this encounter and then this guy has a story hook that's not working and this guy has a problem player and then there's this thing and this thing. And so what I do is I just have a few hours a day where I, that's all I do. I just sit and talk on Facebook or I talk through emails or through YouTube comments or whatever, but people have such ravenous brains that play tabletop, as I'm sure you well know that there's just details upon details upon details and it all matters to them and they, they oh my gosh, it's just mind blowing. But it's, for someone who's really into it and, and loves like, you know, gigantic Rubik's Cubes, it's really fun. It's like a huge social puzzle to solve. It's really fun. So I think, I've seen a bunch of Captain America people, so. I think we're, we're about done, but thanks you guys for coming and if you want a free copy of uh, Index Card, come and get it. Well, you still have fun. And there's, there's only, there's only yay so many, so don't like, you know, gaffle each other over them. Someone's going to come up short and have to walk away with a little tear. Oh, yeah. I have cards, too, if you, if you get short on the book. Thanks for coming, you guys. Yeah, thank you. And good luck, too. What really? Hell yeah, man. Okay. Right, right, right. Oh, feel free, man. Yes. Yeah.
Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming, guys. Good luck.